That's terrible. Hey, good morning. Cabot, Arkansas, how are you? I am so excited to be here in this church. It has been so great to see how this church has grown month after month and week after week and year after year. It is so exciting because we're planting a church in Pine Bluff, as you just heard. Yeah. yeah who's... Oh, by the way, happy Father's Day. We don't talk about Father's Day too much in the bluff uh, because we've got a... We've got a mission, and no, look, no jokes. I, I don't joke about stuff like this. We, Pine Bluff's got a problem. Pine Bluff's got some issues. That's why God has called New Life Church to Pine Bluff. There's a lot of great churches in Pine Bluff, and so that's one of the issues we got to solve. We got to help men understand that they have a purpose and a plan in God's kingdom. We've got to reinstitute, reteach, and re, refocus on masculinity in that area because God's got a plan for the Delta. Does anybody believe that? All right, so we love Pine Bluff. Let me show you our Pine Bluff campus right now. We actually have a building. Look at that, y'all. How about that? That is a former department store. It is in an area right off of Olive Street, and uh, uh, that is going to be our brand new church. We, we sprayed down the parking lot so it looks better in the picture. No, we really didn't. We, we have about half that building, actually, and it's all gutted. We haven't started renovating yet. I think we're going to start renovations this week. But when it was all gutted, when all the air conditioning was out, when it had nothing inside the building, y'all, we had a worship service. All right? Yeah, it is awesome. Yeah. This is what it was. We call it the bare bones worship night. We had about, listen, 100 people that came to a building with no air conditioning, no lights, no nothing, and we had church. How about that? It was great. So we, uh, we just love what God is doing through a church like New Life Church across the state of Arkansas. We can't wait to see what he does in the Delta. And I know you guys are excited about that because God's gonna, he's going to spread out all across the Delta and do something amazing. And you guys are going to be a part of it. That's so cool. Anyway, I love you, Cabot. I love uh, the opportunity to be here. My name is Matt Mosler, and we're gonna, I'm, I'm going to be the pastor of that church. We're actually going to have our opening the week after Labor Day. And then have our grand opening two weeks after that. So y'all keep us in prayer, all right? Y'all ready for the word this morning? I'm so excited to continue in this series called Did You Know? Because I love God's word. And, and there's so many great things about God's word that we get to dig into it. And this morning, we're actually going to talk about a wedding out of the Bible. And, and some of you might have heard about this wedding that happened in the Bible. It was Jesus' first miracle. Did you know? Let's open up the Bible to John chapter 2, verses 1. And did you guys know, and you can raise your hands and you can shout out, did you guys know that Jesus' first miracle was at a wedding? Raise your hand. Anybody know that? All right, some of y'all are not Christians. All right, so that was the first one. Did you know that this first wedding that Jesus performed this first miracle at was in a town called Cana? Anybody know that? See, you knew that. All right, Cana is in, a, is in an area of the region called Galilee. Cana is actually less than 10 miles from Nazareth. Did you know that? That's a little harder. All right. Who was from Nazareth? Jesus. Well, listen, here's the thing about when I ask, when people ask questions in church, you always have to answer Jesus. It, it, it doesn't matter what the question is. All right. I'm thinking of this little gray furry thing, jumps around in trees, eats nuts. What is that? Well, it's Jesus. It's got to, sounds like a squirrel, but it's got to be Jesus. All right. Who is from Nazareth? Jesus, right? So did you all, so you knew that there was a wedding at Cana. You knew that it was Jesus's first miracle. Cana is actually less than 10 miles from Jesus's hometown. Did you also know that Mary was most likely related to the people who got married and probably planned their wedding? Anybody know that? 
See, what we're going to... It's in the Bible. Let me show you. A lot of scholars believe. Let's open up. Let me, let me read the story to you right here. And, I'll, and, and we'll, we'll get to that. Look at that. John chapter 2, verse 1. And on the third day, which is very important, remember that, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee. And the mother of Jesus was there. And Jesus was also invited. And not just Jesus, but all of his disciples were invited to the wedding as well. And when the wine gave out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they ain't got no more wine. And Jesus said, woman, what do I have to do with you? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, look, whatever he says to you, do it. Now, there were six stone water pots set there for the Jewish custom of purification, containing 20 or 30 gallons each. And Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water. (laughs) Fill the water pot, because water pots, anyway. Fill the water pots with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the head waiter. And so they took it to him. And when the head waiter tasted the water, which had become wine and didn't know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew, the head waiter called the bridegroom and said, every man serves the good wine first. And when men have drunk freely, then that which is poorer, but you have kept the good stuff until now. This is the beginning of of the signs that Jesus did in Cana of Galilee. This is how he started his ministry right there. And manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him because he turned water into wine. After this, he went down to Capernaum, he and his mother and his brothers and his disciples, and there they stayed a few days. It's a cool story, right? So why do we think that Mary was related to and probably was the wedding planner for this wedding? A couple of things. Verse 12 says this. After this, they went down to Capernaum, he and his mother and his brothers, his entire family was invited to this wedding. Now, you got to understand, weddings in Palestine at that time were big deals. They lasted about a week, two weeks. They were big celebrations. But Jesus, you don't just invite everybody. You invite, you know, people that you like to be there. And his entire family was invited to this wedding. But notice what happens in verse 3. Let's back up to verse 3. It says, and when the wine gave out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. In the King James, it says Mary was frantic because they ran out of wine. Now, if you went to a wedding and they ran out of wine, you would probably go home and say, y'all have a good honeymoon. I'm out of here. Why would she be frantic because they ran out of wine? Why would that be such a concern to her unless she really liked wine? Because she knew how important this was socially. She most likely, most scholars believe, she most likely was so frantic about this because they were family, and she helped plan this thing. The thought is that Mary was related and and helped plan this thing. And notice something else. Did you know that Jesus was invited to the wedding too? Not just Jesus, but all of his disciples. Now, how many people got married? You've had a wedding, right? Do you want to invite the religious, stuffy, no fun, judgmental, dour Christian guy to your... This is God. Do you want to invite this guy to your wedding? Because some of you, I know, some of y'all were throwing down at your wedding. All right? Do you want to invite that guy into your wedding? Jesus was invited to this wedding not because he was one of these religious people. Because if you read through the same scriptures I do, you realize Jesus was talking down to a lot of religious. He was taking it to the religious people. So why was Jesus invited? Jesus was invited to this wedding, y'all, because he was fun. They wanted Jesus, not just Jesus, but all his posse going to the wedding. And it wasn't just for the wedding gifts. It was there because he was fun. Listen, we are called to influence our culture. 
We are called to be in this world, not of this world. The apostle Peter says, we need to always be ready to make a defense to everyone who asks us about the hope that is within. If, we can't, if they can't see the hope that is within us, they ain't going to ask us about it. And why is anybody going to ask you about what you got if they don't want what you got? If you're walking around your life like, you know, judging everybody at left turn, right turn. We have to live our lives in such a way that we will be invited. Are you following me? Jesus was invited into the social occasion. Are you expressing the joy and the love and the grace and the peace and the gentleness and the goodness, all those fruits of the spirit. Is that oozing out of every pore of your body that people say, I want to be around you. The Bible says, look at it in, uh, in it, it, the Bible says we need to be a pleasing aroma to him, a pleasing aroma. People, you ought to be able to walk into a room and people say, ah, oh, Jesus is here. Rather than going, oh, Jesus. No, I shouldn't have said that. that I, look, Cut the tape. That, although that's pretty funny. Yeah, I'm sorry. I shouldn't. That was bad. We need to be a pleasing aroma, all right? People should be able to sense us there and be glad that we're there. We have to be involved in our culture so that we can influence our culture. Now, this is pretty good stuff there. Uh, that's a great story. And I want you to understand this morning that we're going to focus a little deeper on in this story because a lot of us have heard that story. But this morning, we want to focus on the little things. We want to focus on the little insignificant things in this book. Some of you may have heard the phrase that you're not supposed to sweat the small stuff. Well, this morning we're going to sweat the small stuff. We're going to look at the little details because nothing in this book is here by accident. This Bible is inspired by the Holy Spirit. And every word, every phrase in this book matters. Every little word is significant. Every letter has a meaning. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 18, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass away from the law until all is accomplished. In the Jewish language, there's this little bitty, little stroke, just like that. It's called a tittle. And the King James says every jot or tittle. It says not the smallest stroke shall not pass away until all is accomplished. Every little thing in this book is really important. Even every jot and every tittle. Which would be a great name for a restaurant. <laughs> jot and or maybe not. <laughs> May not be a good name for a restaurant. So you've read this story and you've heard the sermons about the wedding at Cana. But I want you to notice something else. I want you to notice a little thing about this story. So when you read through the story, I want you to... Did you notice the, the phrase about the pots? There were six stone water pots. It's right there in verse 6. There were six stone water pots set there for the Jewish custom of purification. And these water pots contained 20 or 30 gallons each. Now, those are pretty big pots, right? A typical trash can holds about 30 gallons of trash. And there were six of these right there in the front door. Very hard to miss. However, when we read the story, we can read right past the fact that there were six stone water pots set there for the Jewish custom of purification. But let me tell you, those pots are huge in the story. Because I want you to remember the significance of this event. This is Jesus' coming out party. We already talked about the fact that he was invited to the wedding, but this was Jesus' first miracle. This was the first time people were going to see that Jesus wasn't just the carpenter, that he was sent by God to save humanity. 
This was the first public appearance, not of Jesus the carpenter, but of Jesus the Messiah. So this needed to be a pretty significant miracle, right? He needs to set the stage because you never get a second chance to make a first impression. So everything about this story is going to be relevant to the next three years of his ministry. This has got to be a pretty, pretty big thing. So those pots in this story are not there by accident. They play a very large role. They're, they should not and cannot be overlooked. So what were those six stone water pots? Look again at verse six. There were six stone water pots set there for the Jewish custom of purification. What were these pots there for? I, I used to teach a Tuesday morning men's Bible study at GLR in the Little Rock campus. And I asked this question to these guys. We were going through the story, and I said there were six stone pots, about 30 gallons each, looked like trash cans, right there in the front. And when people went into the wedding, they went into the wedding, they went out of the wedding, they always had to you know, go to these pots. And these pots were sitting there. What were those pots for? And there was this Cajun guy in this Bible study. This is not a Boudreaux joke. This is a Trudeau joke. And this Cajun guy was in it. I said, what were these pots there for? And he, he doing, did they pee in them? pee in them they're not porta potties man they were six stone the bible says there were six stone pots for purification it was for the jewish custom of purification what you do when you walk in and out of the wedding you had to wash your hands you had to wash your face all of the junk and all of the grime that was on your hands and on your face you had to wash it you had to clean yourself in order to get in and out of the wedding so over a period of four five six seven days these people were walking in and out of this thing washing their hands washing their face these pots were filled with all that junk that came off their hands and face basically these pots were filled with dirty bath water and so this is true story so this guy said well come on how many of us when we take a bath don't let out a little bit of pee <laughs> i'm just cajuns i don't we don't bathe like cajuns these pots were there for cleansing all right these pots were full of dirty bath water and so here comes Mary, frantic because they're running out of wine. And she comes to Jesus, we ran out of wine. Now, you know that she has seen Jesus do some pretty cool things, right? I mean, she grows up with God in her house. The Bible is not specific about what went on in the house. We don't know what he did, but you know Mary has some inkling, some idea. The whole birth thing probably was in her, you know, it's kind of miraculous. She knows she's seen Jesus do some pretty cool things. So she tells the boys, whatever he says to you, do it. Which is some really good advice, isn't it? Whatever Jesus tells you, do it. Now, Mary doesn't know what Jesus is going to do. All she knows is that he is going to make wine somehow. Because she knows that Jesus knows, because this is family, she knows that Jesus knows that this is a really important occasion. This would be so devastating to them culturally if they ran out of wine. She knows, how, Jesus knows how important this is to Mary and the family. But listen, but honestly, this is not a very spiritual request. I need you to turn this water into wine. Jesus, we ran out of wine. Do something. That doesn't sound like a very spiritual request, does it? Have y'all ever gone to Jesus with a request that is not very spiritual? Some of us don't want to. That's just a little issue. Well, listen, in, in, in Jesus' mind, there are no non-spiritual requests. Because those little issues in your life, if we don't bring him to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, those little issues turn into big issues. 
Jesus wants to be concerned with every area of your life. There are no little issues to Jesus. He is always ready to handle your issues. We just don't know how he is going to handle them. But when we bring him to him, whatever he tells you to do, do it and trust him. And so Mary says, I don't know what he's going to do, boys, but whatever he tells you to do, do it. And what does Jesus tell him to do? Verse 7, Jesus said to him, fill the water pots with water. He looks at the water pots, about half empty with dirty bath water, and he says, fill them up. Now, do you think Jesus knew at this time that he was about to turn this water into wine? It wasn't just a, I don't know, fill them up. He knew he was about to turn this dirty bathwater into wine and serve it to everybody at the wedding. So he doesn't say, why don't you empty those pots out and fill them up with water? He doesn't say, why don't you guys go over and get some Clorox and scrub that nastiness out of those pots? Because this is going to, I'm going to turn it into wine and we don't want your nasty hand junk in my wine. He doesn't say that. He didn't say scrub them out. All he said was take them and fill them with water. But not just fill them, fill them up to the brim. Now, what does that mean? Now, we'll get to that. But I also want you to notice one more thing before we get to that. Did you notice that there were six water pots? Remember, look at the little things in the Bible. All the little things are very important. Did you notice that there were six stone water pots? Now, when I looked at all these commentaries, a lot of scholars think the number six stands for the number of man. And they get this by when they talked about the Antichrist, the number of him was 666, and they, they say that's the number. They may be right. They're a lot smarter than me. But every time I looked up the number six in the Bible, this is what I found. Genesis 1:31 and 2:12. God worked for six days and he rested. Exodus 20, verse 9, six days you shall labor and do all your work. Exodus 23:10, you're gonna sow your land for six years. Exodus 35, for six days work may be done. And there are verse after verse after verse in the Bible talking about the number six, six days, six years. The number six is not talking about man. It's talking about our labor. So the number six, six water pots, is talking about our labor. These pots are filled with the nastiness that we try to wash off our hands. Folks, the reason those pots are so significant to the story and so significant to the message Jesus is about to preach for the next three years is because we are those pots. They stand for you and me. So when Jesus says, don't empty them out, don't scrub them clean, Fill them up to the brim. What is he saying? Well, he's saying something that so many of us need to hear this morning. That we don't need to get our act together before we come to Jesus. Are you hearing me? We can't get our act together before we come to Jesus. Those six pots stand for us and all of our work, all of our labor, all of our efforts to clean ourselves up. And when we do that, all the scrubbing, all the cleaning, all the work, all the striving, all the toiling, all it leaves is dirty bathwater. Now, we might look good on the outside. Some of y'all look better than others. We might be nice and decorative, right? But inside, come on, we're a mess, right? We look good on the outside. 
We walk into church. How you doing today? I'm just fine. But you know you're not. You know you got stuff brewing on the inside. So what do we do? To try to clean ourselves up, we go to work, right? We go to church. We go on mission trips. We serve here at the church. We don't drink. We don't smoke. We don't chew. We don't go out with girls who do. I've never believed that because my wife loves chewing tobacco. I mean, she just eats that stuff up, man. Look, we try to do everything right to clean our lives up. And what's that called? Religion. We try to do lots of religious things. But I want to tell you something. Religion, folks, listen to me. Some of you need to hear this. Religion is not going to save you. Rituals are not going to save you. Church is not going to save you. Some of y'all have been doing some stuff this week and you think, I just got to get to church. I got to fill my life with church. Church is going to make, I just read a brand new study that came out. George Barnard has this organization, Barnard Research Group. They just did a study of the most churched cities in America. In America, in the 50 states, coast to coast, 300 million plus people, the most churched cities in America, number 16 Pine Bluff, Arkansas. Now, what does that tell you? It tells you church is not the answer. It's not just going to church that's going to make a difference. Rituals, religion, all of your efforts, all of your good works are not going to do a thing about filling that void that's in you. Even if you keep all of the rules in your life, you're still going to be unclean. And then along comes Jesus. Because there's only one God. There's only one mediator also between that God and man. And that is the man, Jesus Christ. And along comes Jesus into this culture and he just does something radical. And Jesus says, don't worry about scrubbing yourself up. Don't worry about cleaning yourself out. Don't empty those pots. Those pots are useful to me right now. Those pots are useful to me just as they are. All you got to do is fill them up. But don't just fill them up. Fill them up to the brim. Because God doesn't want to just make you clean. It is God's desire, number two. It is God's desire to make you whole. Fill them up to the brim with my water, the living water, the water from which you will never thirst again. Now, why to the brim? Have y'all ever had like a drink or a cup of coffee? It was filled to the brim. You got to sip all this stuff over before you get to it. You know, it's filled to the brim and overflowing, you know, or you got to get your straw and you poke your straw into the soda and all the soda spills out because it's too full, you know? Nobody? Okay. Anyway, so you fill it up to the brim and it's so full. Why, what is he saying here by filling this thing up to the brim? Because folks, listen to me. Jesus wants you to leave no room in your life for your efforts. Because your efforts are not going to do anything. Your righteousness is as filthy rags in comparison to his holiness. And he created you and designed you so that you may be made whole in him. Without Christ, it's all or nothing. Or with Christ, rather, it's all or nothing. The Bible says a house divided against itself is going to fall down. You can't serve God and mammon, whatever idol is in your life. You can't serve them both. With, with Jesus, it's either, it's either all Better yet, with Jesus, it's not all or nothing. It's all and everything. 
Because God doesn't want just a part of you. He doesn't want just Sunday morning you. He wants all of you because it is God's design to make you whole, fulfilled, abundant, purposeful. You follow me? Anybody with me? But listen, what God, is, God is not going to fill you up against your will. Just because you come to church, God's just not going to pour out his spirit into you and overflow you. This has got to be your decision. You have to allow yourself to be filled up with his water. And if you do, if you allow yourself to be filled up with the spirit of God, he will take all that old stuff and make it brand new. That's what it says. If anyone is in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, he's a new creature. Old things pass away and in Christ Everything becomes new. So invite him. You've got to invite him into your life. But now watch this. This is, this is when it gets really cool. Jesus then tells his servants to take that dirty bath water. He tells them to take that dirty bath water to the snootiest man at the party. Take this bath water and bring it to the head waiter. Whoa. Take this nasty, dirty bath water to the most snoot, the wine master. The wine snob. This guy is the ultimate judge. And Jesus wants those servants to take this bath water to this guy and see what he says about the wine. And what does he do? He doesn't know where it came from. He tastes the wine. Does he spit it out? <laughs> Man, there's nasty stuff in there. No. Does he gag with horror at all of your filth, at your past, at your mistakes, at your nastiness? No. What does he do? He pats the bridegroom on the back and he says, you the man, you saved the best for last. It's not just Jesus's desire to clean us up or even to fill us up with him. Number three, it's God's desire and design that we be a blessing to other people. I mean, serving dirty bath water at a wedding, it doesn't matter if it's filtered bath water. It's still nasty bath water. And you serve nasty bath water at a wedding, it would not have been very celebratory. And the fruit that comes out of us should be a blessing to others. The, Jesus fills us up with his spirit. What comes out, the overflow from that, is meant to benefit other people. This wine that was in these pots was meant to benefit the people at this wedding, to be a blessing to the family, to impact them in a positive way. God tells us our mission on this planet is to be fruitful and multiply. That doesn't just mean we need to have babies, all right? What it's talking about is having an impact on your world. Making your world a better place. Like I said, to be a pleasing aroma to our culture. To be, 2 Corinthians 3.18 says we need to be a reflection of him. When we are filled up with Christ, we're not just filled up with Christ so that we can sleep well at night. We're filled up with the purpose and the joy and the love and the gentleness and the meaning so that we can share that and be a blessing to other people. Because that's God's design that we'd be a blessing to other people. We need to allow our lives, our pots, to be filled with the new life in Christ so that we can be a blessing to this culture. You follow me? But did you notice, number four, that new life in Christ always comes with opposition. Look at verse eight. Jesus said to them, why don't you draw out some now? The water from this pot, it's already filled. I want you to take some of the water from this pot. I want you to take it to the head waiter. And so they took it to him. They took this water, this dirty bath water, and they brought it to the head waiter. And the head waiter tasted the water, which had become wine. He didn't know where it came from. But the servants knew. Little things. 
Why was that in there? The, the head waiter didn't know where the wine came from, but the servants did. The servants went, <laughs> drink this. They think they were punking the head waiter, you know? Why is that in here? Here's why it's in here, because new life always comes with opposition. Folks, it is mentioned here because there's always going to be people in your life who know where you came from. The head waiter didn't know where it came from. The head waiter didn't know about the past. The head waiter didn't know about the mistakes. The head waiter didn't know about your issues. The head waiter didn't know about all the junk in your life. All he saw was what was in front of him. All he tasted was what was given to him. And he saw something great. Now the servants knew. And so there's always going to be people in your life who know about your past. There's always going to be people in your life who, regardless of the, the change that God is doing, they're always going to, they feel so good in reminding you that you're really dirty bathwater. And they'll do everything they can to bring you down, to remind you that you're no good, to remind you that you're dirty bathwater. Believe it or not, all throughout my life, I've struggled with my weight. I know I look good now. But throughout my life, I've always been that short, chunky kid because I love food. And I've always battled with my weight. So you know how I combated? I didn't really go on diets all the time. I hung around fat people. Because, you know, when you're a fat guy, you hang around people who are fatter than you so that you look like the one who's in shape. You know what I'm saying? And so when, when you hang around, and so when you go on a diet because you want to you get in better shape, you want to eat better, what do the fat people do? They feed you. Because they don't want to be inspired by what you're doing. They want to keep bringing you down to their level. They want to keep you in a place that makes them comfortable. There's always going to be people in your life who are going to remember your past, who are going to try to remind you who you were, which is why it is so important to get hooked into a good church. Why it is so important to get into a good life group. 2 Timothy 2.22 says this, we need to pursue faith, love, hope, gentleness, good, all those gifts of the Spirit. We need to pursue that with those who call upon the Lord from a pure heart. We've got to surround ourselves that are pursuing the upward call of God in Christ. Isn't that good? All right, let me wrap this up with this. You ever wonder why Jesus chose a wedding for his first miracle? I mean, Jesus hadn't yet started his ministry. Nobody really knew who he was. He was the carpenter who made their living room table, you know. God gave Jesus just three years to start this international movement that was going to transform humanity. And if you wanted people to think that you were the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior of all mankind, why don't you start this ministry with something that would make some noise? I mean, raise somebody from the dead. Give a blind guy some sight. Make a lame guy walk again. A guy that can't hear, make him hear again. Some, one of those big miracles. I mean, those are miracles that would attract a crowd that would get something started, but that's not what Jesus did. He chose a little thing, a personal thing. He chose a wedding. Now, why? Again, this is going to be significant of everything he does throughout the rest of his ministry. Why did he choose a wedding? Because what is a wedding? A wedding is the joining of two people together. A wedding is a a celebration of a covenant between man and God. 
A, a wedding is the completing of two people. It's making one person whole with another. Genesis says God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. In the Garden of Eden before the fall, we were one with God. It's just us and God. It was one. It was perfect. But when we said, God, I want to do things my way. I choose my way over you, your way. We were separate. Our, when we declared our independence, there was left a void. A void that initially was filled with God, but we said, we want to do it our way. And so we have this void in our life. But a few thousand years later, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, the bridegroom, to be wed to the bride. The message of this whole miracle was that Jesus came to earth to make us complete in him. This wasn't just a miracle at a wedding. The miracle is the wedding. Jesus' first miracle at this wedding is here to let us know that I, I'm here on this planet to make you complete. Did you also notice when the story began that it happened on the third day? What else happened on the third day? He rose from the grave. Why? To give us an opportunity to be complete in him. Isn't that cool? Look at the little things. Well, so what, right? What's the point? Well, right now, some of you guys are beating yourself up because of the mistakes that you made. Some of you guys feel unworthy because of the mistakes of other people that were done to you. And you feel like you're nothing but dirty bathwater with nothing to offer anybody else. And some of you guys have been trying to clean yourselves up with religion and good works. Some of you guys have been trying to escape your past with sex because you just need to feel something. Some of you are trying to escape your past with alcohol or drugs because you're trying to numb that pain. Some of you guys are trying to escape through things like porn because you just need an escape from your past. And then you hate yourself for being so weak, right? But guys, you need to hear this really clearly. God loves you. He loves you. You don't have to do anything to earn his favor. You already have his favor. When Jesus hung on that cross and paid the penalty for your sins, he paid the penalty for your sins and everything that came with it, all the guilt and all the shame, God loves you. God loves you. And he still wants to use you just as you are right now. You, you need to accept the fact that God loves you so much that he died for you and he emptied himself so that you could be filled with him. So what I'm asking you to do is everybody bows their heads, closes their eyes. I want you guys to think about this. I want you to, I want you to allow yourself right now to be filled up with him. I want you to allow yourself to accept his love. To allow yourself to be filled with the new wine of the new life that he offers you and begin to live the abundant life that he created you to live because that's why Jesus came. Now, if I ask you a question, I want every head bowed and every eye closed. I don't want anybody looking up. I promise you if angels appear in this room, I'll let you look up. But how many of you guys need Jesus in your life right now? Raise your hand. Guys, there's hands all over this room. You're not alone. 
There's hands all over this room. How many of you guys have a past that you've been trying to clean up by yourself, but you still feel dirty? Raise your hand. Yeah. You want to give that to Jesus right now? What does that mean, give it to Jesus? What that means is you just confess it. You just, you got to, number one, admit it. God, I've screwed up. I've been trying to clean up my life my way. I've been trying to live my life by my rules, and I, I feel like I'm spinning my wheels. But I believe, Jesus, that you died for me so that I could live a better life, an abundant life. And I confess you as my Savior. Jesus, come into my life right now. Cleanse me of my sin. Forgive me of my sin. Because I want to live the life you created me to live. I don't want to be dirty bath water. I want to be the kind of wine that when people see, they see something different. They see something alive. They see purpose. That's what I want, Jesus. If you prayed that prayer with me, if you invited Jesus into your heart, you're brand new. Old things passed away. All things become new. But it doesn't end right there, folks. That's just the beginning. Grow up into him. Be filled daily with his water and allow it to overflow to be a blessing and a benefit to others. In Jesus' name.